This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rabobank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guests are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rabobank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to RoboTalk's Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. It seems we're getting served some pretty extreme weather events here in New Zealand, and they certainly feel like they're happening more regularly. We've seen severe droughts in different parts of the country. I'm based down here in Dunedin, and, and South Otago farmers will tell you this summer has been as dry as, as many of them can remember. And obviously the recent devastating flood events and cyclone events are having a severe impact on many rural regions. And this is starting to raise many questions, particularly in relation to insurance. You know, how do farmers and growers know which risks are insurable or not now and, and into the future? And how is the insurance industry adapting to these new and changing risks? I'm this week's host, Blake Holgate, and in today's episode, we're focusing on trends and disruptions that are reshaping the insurance industry, and we'll scratch the surface on how climate change might change the future of insurance. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chris Black, the ex-CEO of FEMG and, and current board chairman of Rabobank New Zealand. Chris, thanks very much for joining me today. I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing your perspective on what is a very topical subject given the weather events we've seen in the past few months here in New Zealand. So welcome to Growing Our Future podcast. Yeah, thanks, Blake. Uh, great to be here. Right, before we, we crack into it, are you able to tell us a little bit about your career and, and your experience and, and how that shaped your views on, on this topic? Well, originally, I actually qualified as a land surveyor and I was involved in uh, that for a number of years and then... I worked for the government in the project finance area. On the Think Big projects, it was at the time where there were alternative fuels. But of course, all the alternative fuels in those days were all carbon-based. And then I spent most of my career in financial services and different types of banking, insurance, and also investment management. Oh, fantastic. Latterly, um, I've had a lot of executive roles, but more latterly, uh, move into the non-executive side, rural and financial services, and also health. And how many years did you have at FMG, Chris? 12 years, actually. We had a great trip there. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'm, I'm sure many of those those learnings and experiences will, will very much come through what you're going to talk about today. Let's crack into it. You know, how is the insurance space adapting to these new and, and changing risks? First of all, I think about the different types of risk that farmers and the public generally are facing. Uh, firstly, below the ground risk. So, earthquake risk, volcanic risk, hydrothermal type risk, driven by the energies within the core and the mantle. Then there's above the ground risk, uh, which is really driven by atmospheric energy. And so that's the thing that is most topical today at the moment. They tend to be more frequent storms, floods, landslips, obviously, as a result of that. Hail, wind is a big one as well. So those are the types of risks. And in terms of how one thinks about that, I suppose I'd stand back from the concept of what the risks are and, and look at from a farmer's point of view, one wants to stand back and look at what the appetite for risk is. That's first and foremost really important. And just in behind that is actually I, I do subscribe to needing to take risks. So, you know, people don't achieve things, in, in including farmers and growers, without actually taking calculated risks. And so there's no achievement without taking risks. So you've got to take risks. Then the question is, what's my risk appetite? 
no risk, low risk, medium, high risk for different types of risks that I face. And they could be climatic, they could be financial, they could be operational. But just thinking through those different dimensions and thinking what is my risk appetite on those particular dimensions is really important. Then there's a different ways one can manage that. One's got a clear view on that. So it's interesting that you talked about sort of below the ground risks and presumably that risk profile isn't fundamentally impacted by climate change. And what you're talking about more is some of those above the ground risks. So there's a lot of risks that haven't haven't changed. The profile in respect of many areas haven't changed. And it's just about identifying what are those new or different risks that we need to be aware of. Would that be a fair summation? When one thinks about risk, you, you tend to do it in two ways. One is, what's the likelihood of this risk actually eventuating? And secondly, what's the consequence of that risk? So you hear a lot of people talking about, you know, return periods like one in a hundred years or one in a thousand years. For risks below the ground, like volcanic eruption and earthquakes, those tend to be very long uh, return periods, so one in a thousand years. It's very small. If you look at climate change, you know, the impacts of climate change, the return periods tend to be shorter. So, um, you know, one in a hundred years. So this one that we've just had, it's unclear what the return period is on that, but it's quite long, to be fair. And so say it's one in 500 years. The difficulty with one in 500, it doesn't sound like it's going to come very often, but the thing is it could come tomorrow. That's the trick. <laughs> you know, so you need to be prepared for the thing to happen tomorrow because sort of charge and probability has no memory. And is the work underway in the insurance industry to better understand how climate change will impact some of those calculations around frequency or severity of impact, you know, I think everyone's trying to figure out exactly what climate change means and and what impact it's going to have. But is there a specific little line of work in the insurance industry to understand from that industry's perspective what they need to be doing? Yes, um, no, definitely. And it's quite interesting, you know, people talk about these catastrophe models where you can model out what the chance of, you know, an event happening in certain type of risk categories. And interesting, in the United States, for example, there's In Florida, hurricane risk is a big problem over there. And so in the 1980s, the modelling world, as computers got going, people started to develop these catastrophe models, what they call CAT models. And so in the United States and Florida, there's a lot of data points now over the years have been accumulated. So you've actually got quite a good base of information. In New Zealand, the sophistications of the models are quite new. And so if you don't have data points, it's really quite tricky. So um, if you think about the flooding side, back in in the East Valley and, and Hawke's Bay there, there was a big flood in 1938. And that was just a few years after that massive earthquake in Napier. But at the time, there was no sort of modelling, no computers and things like that. So as we go forward, there'll be more um, data points, uh, more information, and one will be able to better predict actually what the frequency of these types of events and what the impact might be as well. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of work going on there. But fundamentally, it sounds like a lot of the, the modelling that underpins the insurance industry is already there. Um, it's sort of just updating it and maybe recalibrating it or, as you say, getting the new and relevant data points to actually make it relevant to what we need to understand going forward. That's true. I think there's a sort of a base level of information in terms of, so most insurers, for example, will have various models that are built up from, it could be earthquake risk, it could be uh, flood risk, it could be 
hail risk, it could be a whole bunch of different risks. And that information, there's a lot of information in councils, and that has been sort of cobbled together in different uh, models to determine what the relative risk is of certain properties in certain places. So if you're down by a river, it's going to be riskier, generally. Um, If you're on a steep slope, you know, there might be a a risk there of landslide. And so there is a lot more information um, now than there was previously. And I think the other thing is a lot of people want to use that they either want to live by the you know, water courses, whether it's the rivers or seas, or actually use the productive land by the rivers too. So it's a tricky and evolving area, but there's more information coming through definitely, and that's designed to help people make more informed decisions. So one of the things with the insurance industry that people would often say is there's an asymmetry of information. So insurance companies have a lot more information, to your point, than the people actually being insured like farmers. And so the obligation, I think, for insurers is to work with you know, farmers and growers to explain and share that information they've got about the particular property that they've got, what are the risks there, what are the exposures, what are the chances, and then importantly, how do you manage those? Because there are different ways to manage the risk. I mean, it's a really good point, right? Because when you talk about the insurance industry's risk analysis, this is risks of individuals, businesses that are highly relevant to informing their decisions going forward and, and that idea of, of information transfer and insights to help inform those decisions I think is, is really important. Is that something that is currently happening in the industry, Chris? Is it something you think the industry could do more of going forward? Yeah, look, no one can always do more. And I think I think of the adage of uh, sort of upstream, downstream. And so insurance is helpful when something happens downstream, but really there's more and more focus and need, I think, to focus on the upstream, on the prevention side. So helping people to make more and better informed decisions. So, yeah, so if I stand back from that, I think, so farmers and growers will be thinking, what are the risks I face in different types of risk? Key person risk is a key one. We talk a lot about climate change, but actually key person risk in a business is critical. You know, the operational risk and, and the various obligations everybody has. Um, there's a lot of regulatory risk now. And then there's sort of climate risk as well uh, and financial risk. So having people that you can work alongside to help you think through those risks and then say, right, what's my risk appetite on those various types of risks? And everyone's risk appetite is different. Some people are very conservative and some people, you know, actually want to take more risks and they're quite comfortable with more risks. So once one's done that, then the question is, okay, what to do about those risks? And so there are various things one can do. One can actually avoid the risk. Actually, I don't want to take that risk at all and be quite mindful about that. You know, one can accept the risk and uh, say, right, I understand what this risk is and I'm going to accept it. I'm going to absorb it as part of my business. It's going to be a business risk. And so you know, being mindful about that. You know, one can sort of eliminate the risk or you can have contingency plans to work around the risk. A good example would be a neighbour's dairy shed, you know, should your shed go out. You know, we've seen recently with, you know, people having generators on their property and, um, you know, we're having more and more people with um, generators on their farms, you know, if the power goes out. And so that's been very helpful. So there are contingency plans one can put in place. Finally, you know, one can actually use insurance. So all insurance is is really a transfer mechanism from transferring certain risks from yourself, your farm or your growing operation to an insurance company. What insurance doesn't do is it doesn't change the underlying profile of the risk. All it does is transfer the risk. So there are various choices there and some people actually may not need a whole lot of insurance. 
um, they're quite happy with taking more risk. Some things are actually not insurable. There are business risks that you know you just can't insure, stock banks and things like that. So it's just working through all of that, sort of landing on an area that you're comfortable with and also you know you can sleep easy at night. That's really important. I think one of the things, just to digress, you hear a lot of talk about access to affordable insurance. And you know what? That's absolutely right. Um, but I think there's a missing piece in there. Um, one really wants to have access to adequate insurance at an affordable price. One wants to be mindful that you can get insurance, but actually doesn't meet the real need you've got. So while it's accessible, while it's affordable, it maybe has you know a really high access or it may has a, a cap on the cover at the top or it may not cover certain types of peril that you have. So, so that adequacy is really important. And again, this is where insurance companies can help and advise and things like that. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question, you know, informing or, or helping farmers understand their risks and, and what their appropriate risk appetite is and, and what level of insurance they should be getting. Is that sort of a, a sit-down conversation they should be having with their insurance company as opposed to, you know, can you insure these risks for me? What's the premium? What's the price? Yep, no, that, that sounds good. It, it sounds like it's almost more of a quite engaging conversation they should be having with their insurance company to get clarity and comfort that there's actually a strategic approach that really works for both parties there. No, no, absolutely right. And some people appreciate that already. And uh, it's not a matter of, you know, just ringing up and saying, can I get some insurance? In fact, people do that for houses and contents and cars, you know, residential, you know, homeowners. But yeah, I think if I'm a farmer and grower, it's really important to engage with your insurer directly or indirectly and really get that good advice in terms of what's going to work for you. It's quite interesting, you know, if you look at the if you were to buy a new farm, you know, or, or want to do some development on your farm, you know, you talk to your bank, you'll have a strong relationship with your bank. And so you'll work with your bank to understand you know, what, what your need is, what the arrangements are around the you know, structuring loans and terms and things like that. And you have a real strong partnership with your bank and, and they'll provide you information and give you options and advice and things like that. It's really a mirror image of that on the insurance side. I think one of the things that's different between a bank and an insurance company is with a bank, if you're borrowing money, for example, the thing about banking is you've got the bank's money, so they're very interested in that and and they want the money back at some stage. It's an interesting balance in terms of the relationship. If you look at a general insurance company and, and general insurance is different from life insurance and different from health insurance, what's different with general insurance is you pay a premium for the commitment or the promise that if something happens, the insurance company will give you a uh, some of money to remediate the activity. So in that way, it's a sort of, uh, it's a more intangible conversation um, and it's really paying a premium for a promise that might happen in the future. I think that's one of the reasons why people struggle with that more. But it is a more balanced um, relationship, I think, generally. The key is to sit down with someone that can help you through that. You'd be surprised at the number of people that do things and get the finance in place and, and then they come to the insurance late in the day and say, can I just get insurance? And there's a lot more to it than that, as you say. And I wonder with that dynamic that you've just outlined, Chris, does that sort of lend itself to it's the farmers that probably may, need to be more proactive with approaching the insurance company as opposed to the banks who are, are probably uh, reasonably engaged directly with the clients given the the nature of the relationship as, as you've just detailed? Yeah, yeah. Insurance companies are trying to be helpful. If I just look at it from an insurance company's point of view, what, what they're trying to do is play an important role to take on a, a multitude of risks from different types of farmers and growers, um, different types of risks spread geographically. So they're trying to build a portfolio of risks that is 
you know, stable, sound, can be profitable if it needs to be, and it balances, you know, a whole range of risks. So that's what an insurance company is trying to do. From a customer's point of view or a client's point of view, yeah, you're trying to work through which risks do I want to pass to that insurance company to manage as part of an overall pool. I always think with insurance, you know, it's a it's not like going to the supermarket or going down to, you know, farmlands or, you know, buying something and you get something tangible. It's more... You know, people that pay their premium and don't make a claim to us, that's the best thing that can happen with insurance. And the reason for that is, you know, I was up in the S and, you know, Hawke's Bay recently. And look, if you if you're whacked by one of these big storms and big events, it is really tough. And yes, there's some insurance, but there's a whole bunch of business risks. And the amount of insurance that people, the money that you get back from an insurance company is generally about a third of the overall cost of an impact, you know, whether you've lost your house or you've lost your orchard or whatever it might be. There's a whole bunch of non-financial costs that are that are huge. And also, if you if you go into the liability area, you know, around directors and officers and, you know, statutory liability and things like that, it's probably about a seven or eight to one. You know, there are all these emotional and psychological costs and things that insurance just doesn't cover. So, yeah, look, if you're chipping into the pool and uh, contributing for others that need that support when something happens and, and insurance is all about covering the the accidental and the unexpected and you know if you're lucky enough to avoid that then that's that's very good actually now if, if we turn our mind to the cost of insurance we, we talked about earlier about these new or changing risks and with increased risk presumably comes increased cost in the form of premiums is that something you're anticipating we will see as a as a consequence of, of climate change yeah, the price of insurance is definitely going up. What generally works, the way insurance works is that you, if you pay your premium of $100, the insurance company generally needs about a third of that to run the business, you know, all the systems and processes and staff and things like that. And then generally about sort of two thirds, you know, 65 cents in the, in the dollar there goes back to those people that are, have, have taken out insurance over time. And so, look, as the level of events, you know, becomes more frequent and the magnitude of those becomes more severe, someone's got to pay for that risk. And, and so, the cost of insurance is definitely going up, yeah, because people want to cover more risks and there are more risks to cover, I think. Um, so, yeah, generally for a farm or grower, the, the insurance cost is about sort of one and a half to two percent of farm input cost. So, it's a significant number, absolutely right. But of course, you're getting value for that because you're passing the risk to your insurance company. I think in behind an insurance company, you know, the reinsurers and what they do is they insure the insurance company. So like the insurance company insures you as a farmer or grower, the reinsurance industry insures insurers. So yeah, their costs have gone up because what they've got is a portfolio that they've been building, you know, at a at an international level, across a whole range of geographies, across a whole range of perils. And, you know, as you've seen overseas, you know, some of this climate impact has been very severe on them. So the cost of reinsurance has gone up as well, which then flows back to the insurance company, which then flows back to those people being insured on the ground, farmers and growers. And with some of these recent climatic impacts that we've seen, you know, they can be quite regional. And as we get a better understanding about climate change, we may get a better understanding about the different regional impacts and the severity of that. In terms of the cost, are we, are we likely to see it being quite um, specific to certain regions or area or land uses within regions? Or is that more likely to kind of be spread across the mass more generally? 
With insurance, one of the key concepts is around a portfolio approach. So it's very good to have a portfolio of risks that balance each other out and they're quite stable and reliable. So generally, if you can build a, a broad portfolio with risks in you know, the Hawke's Bay, risks in Canterbury, you know, risks in Northland, you know, generally it's unlikely that all of those get whacked at the same time. So, so that's how insurance companies think about that. And they, there's a sort of a general pricing for that whole pool. And then what would happen usually is that there'll be some specific pricing depending on you know the claims history that you have and and what have you so it tends to be sort of layered there's a generic price a technical price if you like to get started and then there's variations within that depending on the claims history you have or the types of risk that you're presented with because some areas are more risky than others so so for example if you live down by a water course for example you're likely to pay more than if you're you know sitting up on a hill 20 feet above the water course. So there is different ways that insurers price that. Okay. And what strategies or approaches can farmers take to maybe look to bring that cost of insuring down? Chris, if we're we're saying, look, over time, you know, it's looking like there'll be a general upward trend. Is there any any strategy farmers can approach with their insurance company to look to, so should we say, optimise the cost of, of the insurance that they've got? Yeah, absolutely. There are a couple of things one could do there. One can work with insurers to understand what are those things. And look, farmers and growers are doing this all the time anyway. But actually understand what are those things I can do in a prevention sense to avoid a loss or an interruption to my business. So yeah, a good example would be irrigators. So if you're in North Canterbury, you know, there are a lot of irrigators there. But if you've got a big storm coming through or a big nor'wester coming through, you know, you don't want to leave your irrigator you know, exposed to the nor'west because it's going to get buckled up. So, uh, you know, if you're turning it around into the breeze, anchoring it down, there's less chance that it's going to be impacted. And so if it's not impacted, you don't have a claim. And if you don't have a claim, then that helps keep your premium down. So I think there's a range of things that one can do in a prevention sense like that. You know, uh, tractors is another one, you know, very expensive tractors. And in, in, in the spring, one of the problems is that the starlings nest in these tractors and, and they go up and smoke hundreds of thousands of dollars in a claim. Now, now, you can, you know, just pop the top on the tractor and, you know, just check for bird's nest and things like that when you go out. And uh, and that helps because if you can avoid that claim, that keeps the premiums down, you know, for you and for everyone else in that pool as well. So there's a bunch of preventative stuff that one can do, which is very helpful, saves everyone actually. It saves the loss, saves the interruption, saves the time, the hassle, all the effort and keeps your premium down. The other one is to work with your insurer because, there are different options in terms of the type of cover you have even within a product. You, know, you could have a higher excess, for example. So you might have a, a higher risk appetite. So rather than a $1,000 excess, you might want to take 5000 Or you may want to have some optional benefits or you may not. So there's different ways to spend a dollar in terms of the, the cover that you, you need and you want and how much you want to you know, invest in insurance. So those would be two ways to do that. Excellent. Now, we've focused a lot around climate change and kind of sustainability risks, but I'm, I'm interested in, in your time in FEG, do you think there'll be other risks or trends that farmers should be aware of or considering as we look in the next five or 10 years beyond just the, the changing climatic conditions? Yeah, look, there's a whole a range of different types of risks that one is facing into. You know, as a farmer ago, you've got to be a jack of all trades generally. FMG did a very interesting piece of work uh, a few years ago on looking at the future of farming and growing and also the future of insurance. And the key message or theme coming out of that research was that there's more complexity in farming and growing operations now. And so if one thinks about, you know, inside the farm gate, 
you know, outside the farm gate. Value chains have been elongated. What that means is that there are more bits to the value chain as there's more specialization and therefore there are more boundaries to manage. And so often it can be very tricky when there are boundaries to manage it. So if you look at a kiwifruit orchard, there's a range of contractors you have coming in, you know, working with chemicals and a whole bunch of different things. And so, you know, you've got a lot of boundary management issues there, who's responsible and liable for this and and things like that. So the general complexity of farming and growing has increased. Therefore, to think through all of that and, and work with an insurer to really think through and understand what those risks are, they could be operational, they could be liability related, they could be key people. That's one of the things that a lot of people lose sight of is the most important asset is the key people working in that business. So, yeah, operational could be liability. Regulatory uh, risk and, you know, legislative risk, they've increased obviously quite a bit. Well, not quite a bit, a lot. And then you've got the physical risks, you know, like the traditional sort of buildings and and operations and things like that. I think business interruption, you know, is an area to really think through in terms of how would I operate, you know, if I didn't you know, have my shed or didn't have the bridge across the river and things like that. And, and to us, you know, we've seen that firsthand, you know, with Cyclone Gabriel and Hawke's Bay. It's really tricky and it's really tough, you know, if you've done all the right things, but actually the communication lines have been, you know, broken. And so you're reliant on these days, you know, a lot of infrastructure around uh, technology and communication and things like that. And through that Hawke's Bay there, they've put a lot of, you know, infrastructure above the ground to avoid earthquake risk. But of course, when it's above the ground, then it's more exposed to, you know, climatic sort of events. So, yes, I think the key thing would be there's probably seven or eight key types of risks that one is looking at when you're running a farming and growing operation. My encouragement would be to sit down with your insurance company and and just work through those and understand what the risks are, what your appetite is, and how best to manage, avoid, eliminate, or, or transfer. And the same is, you know, true working with your bank as well. You know, just a, it's having a good close relationship, good trusting relationship with your, your bank and your insurance company to work through these things. You know, if you're alongside a good insurance company and a good bank, they tend to look through the immediate, you know, and have a long-term uh, view because it is about having a long-term view, handling ups and downs as you go. Yeah, look, and that complexity theme is one that's kind of run through a lot of our podcasts. And I, look, I think it's great advice around, you know, focusing on, first of all, your own business and then, then perhaps some of the a lot of the noise that goes around some of the, these topics and, and understanding the the key aspects, risks, opportunities within your business and, and effectively putting a plan in place to deal with them. Chris, are there any other sort of key messages or, or takeaways you'd like to uh, articulate to our farmers and, and growers? I think you've given some a really good summary there, but any, any last messages or takeaways? At the heart of it, you know, the New Zealand economy is critically dependent on you know, farmers and growers producing food and you know, that's really important for the country because if that didn't happen, then we wouldn't get the, you know, the money coming in from export receipts to fill the coffers uh, and we'd be in a very tough situation. So that's really important. Um, I think taking risks is a good thing. I don't think risk is a bad word. It's actually a really positive word. I suppose the encouragement is to be comfortable with the risk and understand what it is and and just be comfortable with how you're managing that. I think that's the key thing. And that's where banks and insurance companies come in. You know, they are they're in the business of trying to help clients understand a whole bunch of stuff, including risks and and working through that and getting that support. So lean on your advisors and, and ask them to help out um, because they're the experts in it. 
Look, well, I don't think I can add too much to that, Chris. I, to me, that was probably the key takeaway is really engaging with your insurance companies and and bring them in to be part of the team effectively and, and, and really utilise that resource. So look, thank you very much for joining us, Chris. Re- really appreciated the conversation and, and found it really useful and insightful. So thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Growing Our Future. Thanks, Blake. Thanks for the opportunity. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Robotalk's Growing Our Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about how Rubberbank can support you to succeed in the future, please go to rubberbank.co.nz.